from Duke University. This is Zeroing In, the numbers behind the 2016 election. In each episode, we focus on one number that sheds light on a key issue in the 2016 election. I'm your host, Ronnie Chatterjee, professor at Duke's Fuqua School of Business and the Sanford School of Public Policy. Today, I'm happy to welcome Jared Bernstein and Michael Strain. Jared and Michael, as you know, we're here to talk about one number behind a hot topic in the 2016 presidential election. Jared Bernstein is a senior fellow at the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities and a former member of the Obama administration. Michael Strain is a director of economic policy studies at the American Enterprise Institute in Washington, D.C. Welcome, gentlemen, and thank you for being here. Thanks for inviting us. It's great to be here. So a big topic in this year's election is how well the economy is doing. You hear both presidential candidates talking about it almost incessantly. And one measure of how well the economy is doing is the labor force participation rate, which counts effectively how many people are either working or actively looking for a job. And as of August 2016, that rate stands at 62.8%. But what does this number really tell us about how the U.S. economy is doing? So, Jared, I'll start with you. If nearly 63% of Americans are working or looking for work, doesn't that mean that 37% of Americans aren't? What do we make of that? No wonder you're, you have all these fancy degrees. Huh? That, that you know, excellent mathematics you just showed us. Yes, I mean, first of all, just to be clear, it's the share of the population that's 16 and over. So you'd want to leave little kids out of that sort of thing because they're not going to be workers. It's also civilians. So people who are in institutions, uh, whether it's prisons or nursing homes, are, are left out. So the idea is that this is a metric that says what share of the working age population is either working or looking for work. And by that measure, it's a good indicator of labor market slack. But there's a lot that goes into labor market slack. And And you have to be mindful of the nuances of this measure. So, for example, if you think of somebody who's 90 years old and they've retired, they're not in a a nursing home, so they're in a sample. Or if you think a kid who's 17 years old and is a junior in high school, like my daughter, they're not working, they're not looking for work. They're going to be in the population, so they're in the denominator of this metric, but you wouldn't expect them to be working. So they're part of that 37% you mentioned, but they're not really symbolic of flack because these are folks who are very much legitimately out of the job market. So to get a bead on what this measure is telling us about slack, you have to look at its historical ups and downs. And right now, it's about three percentage points below where it was in the previous labor market peak. And I think that's probably the most important metric, and you have to figure out what those three percentage points are telling us. Fantastic. And so, Michael, that's a great segue into you. So what does this number being below its previous peak mean to you? How do you see this number and what it means for our understanding of the job market? Well, I think Jared's answer provides a a nice example of why nuance is important. It is true, of course, that the labor force participation rate is below its previous peak. There are some benign factors behind that. The population has been aging over the course of the Great Recession and the economic expansion, and that's exerting natural downward pressure on the workforce participation rate. You know, as Jared said, you have 90-year-olds in there, and 
as people over the age of retirement, you know, say 65, constitute a larger and larger share of the overall population, you're going to see downward pressure on the workforce participation rate, and that pressure is not normatively bad in some sense. Having said that, you know, I do think that if you look at a more granular measure, the workforce participation rate among prime age workers, workers who are too old to be in school, too young to be retired, you see that that hasn't recovered fully from the Great Recession. Uh, and that indicates to me that there, that there are workers who are out on the sidelines who are not counted in the unemployment rate because they're not actively looking for work, but who we should, in some sense, think of as workers. So it's a mix of the two. There are some things happening that are not cause for concern, and I think there is still some cause for concern in the depressed rate. And Michael, I mean, just to follow up on that, if it's cause for concern, what are the kinds of things that a presidential candidate should be talking about when they pay attention to this metric? What are the things that actually impact the labor force participation rate? Well, you know, a variety of factors affect the workforce participation rate. There are some supply side factors. So, you know, many people argue that social safety net programs depress the workforce participation rate by making it possible to get by without working or make it easier to get by without working. There are also demand factors that affect the workforce participation rate. So as we've seen the economy increasingly rely on computers and software and robotics, we've seen firms demand for lesser educated workers decline. As we have opened up our economy and globalized labor markets, we have seen firms demand for lesser educated workers decline. Those declines in demand put downward pressure on wages. And for some workers, the wage that they can earn in the workforce is not sufficient to uh, entice them to work. Um, And that in turn suppresses workforce participation. So it's a very complicated issue and there are supply and demand factors that affect it. Mm -hmm. Jared, anything you'd like to add there in terms of what the presidential candidates could be talking about when it comes to labor force participation? Yeah, I think Michael's summary is a good one, but I'd add a few things. There's always this very heated debate, Michael nicely gave you both sides, as to whether people are staying out of the labor force. And now we're talking again about these prime age workers who are, say, 25 to 54. So we're making sure we're leaving out retirees or kids. There's always this heated debate as to whether they're just taking advantage of government largesse when they should be working. And that's kind of more associated with a conservative argument. It's a little harder to make that argument these days because the safety net has become increasingly more pro-work. That is, if you're not working, you're not eligible for much at all, with the exception of disability insurance. And here there's an argument that says one of the reasons the labor force participation rate is low is because too many people, especially guys and especially less skilled guys, are taking advantage of DI, disability insurance. And in fact, a recent uh, very authoritative study by the Council of Economic Advisors suggested that that could only explain about 10% of the decline uh, over time in, in this prime age participation rate. And so I think that I would discount that as a large explanatory factor, though certainly it's in the mix. I do think that the long-term loss of manufacturing jobs has been a big deal for many of the workers, again, especially uh, non-college educated men in these measures. But that said, and this is important, and I think it's underappreciated, if you look at the employment rate of Uh, the guys we're talking about, it's actually two-thirds of the way back to where it was before the uh, recession hit. 
Now, I'd like it to not only get back there, but have exceeded before the next downturn hits. But the point that I would make is that, in fact, these workers are cyclically responsive. That is, they are responding to more of a demand pull as the job market tightens up. They're coming back into the job market, getting more work, but it's a slow process. And it'd be great if we could think about more policies to help speed it up. And Jared, just on this notion of policy and the size of welfare programs and other kinds of assistance programs, what do we learn from other countries' experience uh, in terms of the labor force participation rate? Is the United States trend an outlier or does it match kind of what's going on in the rest of the industrialized world? It's a very important and underappreciated question. We are an outlier. uh, And in fact, we're an outlier in an interesting way. Take a country like Germany. If you actually look at the decline in manufacturing employment, at least proportionally, it's not been all that different in Germany than it has here. It used to be that 40% of their employment was in manufacturing. Now it's 20. For us, it's gone down from about 30 to about 10. So large declines in both cases. However, they don't have this lack of participation problem to the degree that we do in no small part because of demand-side policies that have helped. And one that's been really effective, and by the way, people like Michael Strain have written about this, I believe, or at least people at the American Enterprise Institute, part of this is apprenticeship programs. A really deep, aggressive dive into apprenticeship programs is a very neat idea, in my view, to help alleviate this problem and pull some of these disenfranchised guys back into the job market. It's a good idea. Hillary Clinton has a tax credit to that effect as part of her agenda. Not well understood or known, but I think a good policy. Great. And Michael, how about you? I mean, both on international comparisons and what kinds of things we can learn from other countries, whether it's Germany or somewhere else, in their efforts to increase the labor force participation rate, especially for prime age working adults. Well, I I largely agree with Jared. I I have written a little about apprenticeship programs, and and I do think that's a particularly promising avenue to explore uh, in terms of helping to get more workers, especially workers who didn't go to college, more skills so that they can command higher wages in the job market, and hopefully those wages will pull some of those workers into participating. With respect to disability insurance, some European countries have gone back and revisited disability insurance recipients, and it turns out that that contact has gotten people to return to the workforce. I think, you know, in general, the United States has a cultural mentality that if you're going to do anything in terms of skill building after college, that that should be a four-year college degree. And that if you do vocational training or technical training or get a two-year degree from a community college, there's something in our culture that pushes people away from that option. And I think that the most important supply-side factor that's keeping workforce participation down surely is the skills of the adult population. And so finding ways to increase those skills, uh, that's not going to be a four-year college degree for everybody, but there are other avenues and finding ways to get people more education and more training so that they can command higher wages, I think really is where we should focus. Let me respond to that, Ronnie, uh, if I may. So one thing about the apprenticeship program that's attractive to me, and I'd say this in contrast to some of the way we used to do training programs, is that you earn while you learn. Uh, We're talking about folks that are 
25 to 54. So they can't necessarily take a few months off and go to some sort of a training program. They need to live in the meantime and pay bills, make ends meet. And so I do like this earn while you learn. I also definitely take Michael's point about not everybody needing a four-year degree. Weirdly, and it's an argument I've made myself, but weirdly, the only people I hear make that argument are people with PhDs. So I'm not quite (laughs) clear. I'm not quite sure what to make of that, but it is true. <laughs> you know, that, if, I, that if, is... if, if I could jump in with another plus for apprenticeships, one of the problems, in my view, with the way that we've done job training in the past is that the market has played too little of a role in determining what skills workers will be trained in. And one of the nice things about apprenticeships, mm-hmm. you, you earn while you learn, just as Jared said. And, and the way that that's operationalized is that a business will decide that they need an apprentice perhaps in partnership with a community college or in partnership with another government organization, a business will decide that they need an apprentice. And the business wouldn't be making that decision unless they actually had something for the apprentice to do. And so it's the business that is determining what skills the apprentice learns, and it's the business determining the need Mm -hmm. that the apprentice will fill. It's not a job training program. Yeah. And Michael, as you think about creating more flexible apprenticeship programs based on kind of market factors, is it the community colleges or training institutes that would make those adjustments? And how do you see that happening? What kinds of incentives could we put in place if this is going to have an impact, let's say, on the labor force participation rate? I think that would probably vary from place to place. uh, And I imagine that it would vary considerably. I think what you want are local institutions. I think community colleges are really promising and and would play a really important role here by virtue of the size of the community college network. And you need partnerships between those colleges and local businesses. And what specifically happens in Iowa will likely look a lot different than what would happen in uh, South Carolina or in Pennsylvania or in Florida. But the need would be determined by the local area economy. So that, that variance actually is is a strength in my view. Great. And Jared, I, I want to go to you on this. You know, when the next president takes office, you've been in the Oval Office, you've thought about these issues. Is the labor force participation rate and these efforts to kind of improve it, let's say with apprenticeship programs or other kinds of initiatives, is this going to be a top issue for the next president? Or you think, are there other things related to the economy that are much more pressing? I think it'll be a top issue. Now, it won't be framed in terms of uh, the labor force participation rate. As you well know, the way things work in in the White House, or at least at that level of government, is it's all about jobs. So people will be talking about this issue in terms of jobs, but that's really what Michael and I are talking about. We're just measuring employment as a share of the the working age population. And uh, so take uh, infrastructure investment. Infrastructure investment is a plan that both candidates are putting forth. Hillary Clinton has a pretty fleshed out idea, and she has been very clear that this is a first 100-day idea, Donald Trump similarly. And so the infrastructure idea will be very much touted in terms of a job creator. And I do think that there is employment in there. I think it's a little bit unclear as to the magnitudes we're talking about. But in fact, I think we are talking about jobs for very much the type of folks that uh, Michael and I have been referencing in our conversation. And that conversation will take place very much in the context of job creation for people who've been left out and are reflected in, in these low metrics. 
Fantastic. Well, I think that's been a very stimulating discussion. Jared and Michael, I want to thank you both for participating. That's going to wrap up this episode of Zeroing In, which is a podcast from Duke University on the 2016 election. You know, my biggest takeaway from what you guys are saying is, is first, when you look at a raw number, like the number of people not in the workforce, you have to standardize it with a percentage. And that's where we started off with that 62.8% number. But even there, as both Jared and Michael remind us, there's more nuance. Some people uh, are too young to be necessarily active in the workforce, others older. So when you think about the prime age of folks who are actually in the labor force, the numbers start to look different. When you focus in there, there's still work to do. And both Jared and Michael identified apprenticeship programs to help alleviate, I'd say, the mismatch between where workers' skills are and what businesses demand, looking at countries like Germany uh, as models. So for those listening at home, I hope you found this episode engaging and useful. We'd love your feedback on Twitter at Aaron Chatterjee. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This is Zeroing In. Find us on iTunes and at DukeCampaignStop2016.org.